Hey, it's Sean from the Commander's Brew. This is exciting. I say that way too many times. I always mean it. I'm a very excitable person. But the banter before the main podcast will be the spoilers for Dominaria. Not all of them. I will be doing a set review episode as per the usual. But this episode came out, is coming out, producing during the spoiler season. It's a real tricky time to make a podcast because I'm kind of out of exciting and really engaging commanders from the previous set and the new ones haven't fully dropped yet. I would have loved to do a full commander off of the new one, but there just wasn't any at the time of production that seemed worth brewing around. They gave us a couple of uncommon ones that, you know, I'm not going to say they're not interesting. You may see a brew on them soon, but this deck is an Urtai the Corrupted deck from way back in the day. This is a very old card, but it's heavy on the sagas. And this is a Dominaria season. Dominaria is coming out again. So you know we're going to get some more sagas. So I wasn't sure what to do about it. I'm just going to kind of go over them here. Just three cards that I think would absolutely go in this deck. And I realize I'm talking about this before you know what the deck is about in all of its nuances, all the cool ins and outs. But it's an Urtai saga deck. So let's talk about a saga. And the thing that they're giving us now is something called Read Ahead. Great work over on design there, just figuring out other ways to make sagas new and interesting. Neon Dynasty gave us sagas that flipped into creatures, so, and now we've got sagas that we can start anywhere we want. Read Ahead basically reads, I mean it literally reads, choose a chapter and start with that many lore counters. Add one after your draw step. Skipped chapters don't trigger. Sacrifice after three. So we can have these pop right away we can pay so the phasing of zalfir is a two blue blue saga with three chapters and read ahead we get any number we, we can go to any number one and two are identical another non-land permanent phases out it can't phase in for as long as you control the phasing of zalfir this is because the third part is destroy all creatures for each creature destroyed its controller creates a two two black phyrexian creature token First of all, it's a board wipe in blue, but we get to skip right to the end if we want, which kind of gets around the problem where a lot of opponents can plan for your sagas. That's why they're not always ideal. I'm talking about the board wipe type of ones, but uh, the ones that just give you a bunch of value. Your opponents are going to plan around you getting value. That's just how the game is. You get value. But this phasing out thing ensures that we get to save two things before that board wipe hits. So that's pretty neat. It's the only saga in the Esper Colors that's out right now. I hope we get a bunch more on the uncommon level. This one's a rare. But there's another legendary creature that could have been the commander of this deck, probably. I mean, this would be a whole different deck if it was. Would it though? I don't know. It's Zur the Eternal Schemer. White, blue, black for a legendary human wizard. It's a 1-4 with flying. Enchantment creatures you control have death touch, lifelink, and hexproof. So that means all of those sagas that from Neon Dynasty that flip into creatures, they have Hexproof. Lifelink and Death Touch as well, but the Hexproof is the cool one that saves everybody. And then there's an ability, one and a white, target non-aura enchantment you control, like any saga, becomes a creature in addition to its other types and has base power and toughness equal to its mana value. We will probably be, like, th this is a good ability. It, it's a way to give our enchantments that are sagas, but not creatures, sort of instant speed hexproof we turn them into creatures now they have hexproof so your opponents can't destroy them with some sort of targeted removal if they're trying to target them we can do this in response and kind of fizzle that spell but 
This becomes super cool when you look at this next card. It's a vehicle. The Golden Argosi. Four generic for a vehicle, three six, and it crews for one. That's cheap crew. I also want to remind you that you're allowed to crew for as much as you want. You can overcrew with your entire board. Why is that relevant? It's because of Zer's other ability. We're gonna let's say we we want to turn something like Elspeth Conquers Death. No, not that one. Elspeth E. Elspeth, which is the white one? It is Elspeth Conquers Death. Oh, a little bit of a brain hiccup there. So Elspeth Conquers Death is a five mana saga, and the first one is XL a permanent and opponent controls with converted mana cost three or greater. So here's what we do. Before we get to two and three, which we do want to do, like I would like to do that, but I can have Zur make Elspeth Conquers Death into a creature. It will have Hexproof, so we don't need to worry about it. That creature crews the Golden Argosi, which then attacks. Now I blink the Elspeth Conquers Death, which comes back as a regular enchantment, doing that exile one more time. It resets all your sagas, whether they're creatures or non-creatures animated with Zur. Certainly great with any other ETB creatures whatsoever, but in this deck especially, with Zur, I, I had to point it out. Now those are the neat, interesting cards so far that have been spoiled. I will do a full spoiler set review as usual, but in the meantime, I'll go do some business, then we'll hear two ads, one real, one fake, and then we'll get to the deck tech proper. And part of that business is indeed thanking you for listening. Could not do this without you as listeners. I really value your spending time on this podcast. If you would love to help out, patreon.com slash commandersbrew, use the TCG player link, or buying cards through the Wizards Tower if you're Canadian. Here's those two ads. We here at Darksteel Industries want you to feel at home. We make quality products that take care of you and your family. Our home assistant, Darksteel Ingrid, can take on all the little tasks you don't want to do. Alarms, calendar items, or checking the weather. We also manage all of your internet passwords. A mandatory feature. We want your trust. We think we've earned it. And now the real ad from the Wizards Tower, wizardtower.com. Not only are they a great content site for deck techs, strategy guides, and more, Canadian players get to use code BREWDOUBLE to get 5% off your order of magic singles if you spend $20 or more. Money off your magic singles? We trust that sort of deal. And now back to the show. Okay, let's get to this deck tech. This is Urtai, the Corrupted Sagas. Let's read Urtai for a second. Two and Esper. Two white, blue, black, wizard, legend. Okay, I'm reading off the card. The oracle is Phyrexian Human Wizard. I think this is aptly timed when Dominaria is coming out, but the, you got a 3-4 for 5, and you get an activated ability. It's a bit of a mean one. Blue, tap, sack a creature or an enchantment, counter, target, spell. Onboard counter spell. Your opponents are going to hate this. Let's go. So the premise is Urtai the Corrupted Sagas. So that's the cool thing. We're not here to sacrifice a bunch of token creatures, which would be easy to do. We're not even here to sacrifice like weird enchantments. I guess sagas count as weird enchantments because that's what we're doing. Sagas are enchantments. And even recently, we were given a ton of cool like flip sagas where they start as like a regular enchantment, and then they flip into a creature. For example, Restoration of Iganjo, Tune White for a Saga. Chapter 1, Search for a Plains, put it into your hand. Chapter 2, You may discard a card, and if you do return a permanent with mana value 2 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped, could be a Saga that already went to the graveyard. 
maybe because we sacrificed it using Urtai. And then part three, exile it and return it as a simple 3-4 with Vigilance. And when it attacks or blocks, you make a 1-1 colorless spirit creature token. This one's excellent. If we get to transform it, we get to actually make little spirit creature tokens, which can be the sack fodder for Urtai. I didn't say we wouldn't sacrifice creatures. I just said we're not building to do nothing but tokens. The sagas are front and center. But this is an enchantment creature. It makes a token. It's a saga on the front. Fall of Lord Conda, for example. For two and a white, the first chapter is exile a creature an opponent controls with mana value four or greater. It's a bit narrow. It's nowhere near swords to plowshares. But that is a worst case scenario if we have to sacrifice this after it's come in. Like before we even get to chapter two with Urtai. If we do... Each player gains control of all permanents they own. That doesn't do a lot. Or three, exile the saga and return it transformed as a simple 1-3 defender. When it dies, we draw a card. Now I want to sacrifice it, so I kind of want to let this one last. And then, you know, we're an enchantment-based deck, so Michiko's Reign of Truth. Here's that two drop I was referring to. One in white. The first two chapters identical. Target creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact and enchantment you control. And then part three, you exile it to a creature that has plus one, plus one for each artifact and enchantment you control. So a few good flip sagas. And the picture has been painted. I'm sure you've figured this out. The, the regular sagas do sacrifice themselves. So they're not terrible if we want to sacrifice them anyway as a counter effect. We will lose out on some value because there's no way someone's going to try to cast a spell that we want to counter as this triggers on the stack that the trigger to exile them. But I mean, even Elspeth conquers death. That's the five man and white one. The first one is to exile a permanent an opponent controls with converted mana cost or mana value three or greater. If that's all we get, we got some good value out of it. Chapter two, non-creature spells your opponent's cast cost two more. And chapter three, any creature or planeswalker from your graveyard comes back to the battlefield with a plus one plus encounter or a loyalty counter on it. Again, the third one's the best. I would like to keep it till three, but if we have to, we've gotten our value from it. Right of Bells and Lock, two black black. The first two chapters are identical. You make two zero one cleric creature tokens. Those are great sack fodder to counter things. And on the third chapter, you make a six six classic demon. The usual demon thing is flying. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you have to sack another creature. And if you can't, it deals six damage to you. We're going to be sacking creatures, so, you know, there's a world where we run out of everything else and this thing starts damaging us, but if we've gotten that far, I think we're doing pretty good. We can certainly sacrifice this before that happens. And Meadowmise Prophecy is one of those rare four chapter sagas. It's one in a blue, chapter one, scry two, chapter two, choose a card name, chapter three, whenever you cast a spell with that name, draw two cards this turn, and then chapter four, look at the top card of each player's library. That chapter four sucks. It's fine. I could use it. I don't mind looking at the top of each player's library, but that's a whole turn where it's sitting here where your opponents can't do anything really threatening to you because that's kind of a cost free counter. I mean, I'm happy to sack this at that point. So do it. There's 35 sagas total. And this is I'm recording this before all the Dominaria spoilers have kicked into high gear. So there's probably a lot more sagas. I, in fact, I know there will be more sagas coming in. So this deck's only going to get better. So naturally, you can assume your opponents will want to target Urtai and target him severely. So that's where some protection comes in. Obviously, Urtai is just sitting there. They're going to be like, well, I'll cast a, like a spell that'll kill Urtai. You have to counter it 
So, and then maybe, you know, either I kill Urtai or I make you lose a valuable saga. Maybe that's the option. Or maybe they're thinking like, you know, problem. Urtai is pretty brutal, but I'm saving two spells. I'll put one on the stack. Urtai tries to cancel it. And then I will cast my other one. And there you go. Urtai dead. Except we can do something like Cradle of Safety. It's a one and a blue flash aura. Creature gets hexproof until end of turn and plus one plus one. And there's an identical one in Starlet Mantle. Different name, same card. So now they're like, oh man, now my they cast the spell, I cast this. They have to put that second removal spell on the stack that they had planned to originally. Now Urtai does his normal blue tap counter something. And now the Starlet Mantle kicks in. Thing is hexproof until end of turn, no problem. We could do something like Swift Foot Boots or Lightning Greaves. I generally try to avoid full hexproof all the time effects because I think that kind of uh, anything that makes the game more goldfishy is something I'm not a fan of. I like it when we all play, we all kind of interact. And if I'm the threat, you deal with it. It's up to me to protect myself. Same with you. I, I'm just not a fan of hiding behind Swift Foot Boots so you can never touch me until you have. It turns everyone into Urtai, because Urtai, you need two removal spells, kind of. Same thing. You need a removal spell for the boots and then a removal spell for the commander. It's annoying. I think it's also especially interesting to run a card like Ashiok's Erasure. It's a four mana flash enchantment in blue. And then when it enters, you exile a spell. You're not countering it. You're exiling it. And your opponents aren't allowed to cast spells with the same name as the exiled card. And then when this leaves the battlefield, you return the exiled card to its owner's hand. This doesn't work the way we want to when commanders. We don't get to exile a commander and then our opponents can't ever play that commander again. If they move it back to the command zone, then there's nothing under this card. This card doesn't do anything. However, that means we can lose the card and it will be fine. Like if I put your commander under this, you have to put it back to the command zone. And now this is a, basically a free enchantment that's not doing anything that I can sack to Urtai and I lose nothing for it. And so here's, you know, I love Bruin decks. I love Bruin decks with restrictions because then you find fun new angles and something that seems cool. You know, Enchantress decks are everywhere. They're very common, but sagas actually count as historic spells. So we get to look at all those historic matters cards like Joyra's Familiar. It's that four mana bird. It's an artifact, but historic spells cost one less to cast. Cool. Raph Capish and Ship's Mage, that's the two blue-white legendary wizard that's a 3-3 three, three with a flash and flying. It allows us to cast our historic spells as if they had flash, aka our sagas. The Weatherlight itself, it's a four-mana flying vehicle, cruise three to a four-five, and whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you look at five and you put, you look at five from your library, you put a historic card from them into your hand, and the rest go on the bottom. Extra draw, we get them for cheaper. We're casting them as flash. That's awesome. And so a lot of these sagas, maybe they flip to creatures. Maybe we want them back on their saga side. Maybe we've got one of these triple saga deals that's going to destroy itself during our draw step. So we've got to have ways to blank them, right? And that's where Skyblind comes in. Skybind, sorry. Skyblind would be if you can only see the ground. You can't see sky. That sounds sad. Anyway, Skybind, three white white enchantment with constellation whenever this or another enchantment enters the battlefield under your control blink something and it's the kind of blink where it comes back at the beginning of the next end step so we don't get it right away um with a saga that doesn't really matter because we get the first one as soon as it enters and then we get 
the next one on our upkeep or draw. So like it won't change the pace of how a saga works. So we, but we just can't like triple blink something by casting three enchantments. In fact, uh, let's grab another. Yeah. Oh, this is the other thing. Okay. Sorry. I misspoke. I'm mixed up here. That's what regular blink spells are for. Like your classic, you know, blink spells. But Skybind specifically works on non-enchantment things. I got mixed up here. But that's key for something like Rona, Disciple of Gix, another Historic Matters spell. It's a three mana, two, two, one blue, black, legendary human artificer. Whenever this enters the battlefield, you may exile target historic card from your graveyard aka sagas and you may cast non-lead cards exiled with, with rona so when we blink rona with skybind we get to exile a saga and then cast it rona comes back at our end step so if they don't have flash we can't do that unless we have raf capuchin or it's one of our flash enchantments like a like one of those protection ones but you might be thinking how good is skybind though like if isn't half the deck enchantments is that any good yeah, but we get to blink any non-enchantment permanent. That includes islands. Urtai's ability is one blue, so we get to tap out to cast an enchantment. Skybind will blink an island that will get back untapped, and then we can use it to activate Urtai if we need to. Love that. While we're talking about blinking enchantments, I love something like Doomwick Giant. Four and a black for a giant with four six. It's got Constellation. Whenever this or another enchantment enters, all your opponent's creatures get minus one, minus one till end of turn. Nice. Doomwick Giant's already pretty good in an enchantment deck because we'll be giving lots of things minus one, minus one, maybe minus two, minus two. But this is the kind of enchantment that makes me want to run stuff that lets us copy enchantments. I'm talking copy enchantment. It's a three mana enchantment. When it comes into play, you choose an enchantment. And if you do, it comes into play as a copy of that enchantment. The word enchantment appears on this card like 17 times. It's hilarious. It's expensive though. It's 12 bucks because it only costs three. Estrid's Invocation also costs three. Same deal, except this time you get to blink this and pick different enchantments as you want. So it also hits our constellation triggers as Doomwick Giant. This is incredible. Uh, yeah. And so then if I'm in the business of copying enchantments and like Doomwick Giant is a cool one to copy to make my creatures on my my opponent's creatures worse, I don't mind running Ethereal Absolution. It's that six mana enchantment Orzov for white black creatures you control get plus one plus one creatures your opponents control get minus one minus one. So, you know, to make a couple copies of this is pretty impressive. Our opponents won't be able to keep creatures on the board if we've done that. Not to mention we can pay four mana to exile a card from an opponent's graveyard, and if it was a creature, you make a 1-1 white and black spirit creature token with flying. Very nice. And we're going to be sacking enchantments. That's what this deck does. Enchantments just die anyway, so I think we want to run something like Brilliant Restoration. Three white, 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 white sorcery. Return all artifacts and enchantments from your graveyard to the battlefield. Just raw power. Seven mana is a lot, but we'll get way more than seven mana value out of this. Even something like Brought Back works nicely. It's a white, white instant. Choose up to two target permanent cards that were put in your graveyard from the battlefield this turn. Return them to the battlefield tapped. Maybe two sagas die at the same time on our draw step because their timing worked out that way. Maybe we had to use Urtai on something cool and then Urtai still died from something else. Cool, we'll bring both of them back. There's a lot of really nice flexibility with a card like this. Heck, 
when's the last time you thought about cleansing meditation? This is a $2 card. It's a sorcery. One white, white. Destroy all enchantments. I know what you're thinking. This is a terrible card for this deck. However, it says threshold. And threshold is if you have seven or more cards in your graveyard. Instead, destroy all enchantments, then return to play all cards in your graveyard destroyed this way. So we'll get all those constellation triggers like all compounded together. Everything comes back at the same time. So many sagas come in. We get all sorts like managing these triggers is going to be hilarious of like, okay, now they're all on chapter two. What do I get? Tons of stuff. I love it. And so we're a little bit villainy right? Holding up counter spells. We're looking at that sort of thing. And I'm just looking at other enchantment creatures that seem interesting. And I think I want to run the pair of Athreos, the pair of Athrii. We got Athreos, God of Passage. That's the three mana one. It's indestructible, five, four, becomes a creature if your devotion to white and black is seven. The deal is with this one, whenever a creature you own dies, return it to your hand unless an opponent pays three life. Enchantment creatures, right? Stuff dies in this deck. That's a good card. And Athreos Shroud Veiled. It's a other end of the spectrum mana-wise. It's six mana for a god, indestructible. Uh, devotion to white and black, seven, the same deal. But here's the difference here. At the beginning of your end step, so you get this, the turn it comes in. Put a coin counter on another target creature. Doesn't have to be yours. Could be your opponent's. Whenever a creature with a coin counter on it dies or is put into exile, return it to the battlefield under your control. Imagine we've flipped a saga creature into the creature side. We get a coin on it. Then we sacrifice it to counter a spell. It will come back to the battlefield under our control as the saga, ready to do its thing all over again. I love it. I don't want to fully move off of the copyable spells yet because there's a couple of spells that I think are neat to copy. We'll start with Revenge of Ravens. It's a four minute enchantment. It's a little bit of buffer when people try to attack. If a creature attacks you or a planeswalker, that creature's controller loses one life and you gain one life. So we will not be swarmed by tokens this way. And if we end up copying this one a few times, we kind of can't even be attacked or our opponents will kill themselves. And then Court of Ambition. Ooh, this one I want to copy. I, I like it already just as what it is. It's two black black for an enchantment. It enters, you become the monarch. And at the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent loses three life unless they discard a card. That's nice. And if we're the monarch... Instead, each opponent loses six life unless they discard two cards. But just making a couple of these, copying that, like, this is brutal. Like, now they're like, oh, you're the monarch. Oh, okay, so do you want to lose 18 life or discard six cards? You divide that up how you want. (laughs) It's it's amazing. I want to highlight a couple of neat moves I couldn't figure out into a different category. Generally speaking, I want Calafi, Beloved of the Sea, one blue-blue legendary demigod, enchantment creature as a star three the star is your devotion to blue and creatures and enchantments you control have ward one it doesn't actually say ward one it's it costs spell right because ward affects abilities this is just spells spells that that target our enchantments cost one more to cast a little bit of protection a little bit of extra buffer i think a very neat card is captivating glance two and a blue for an enchantment aura you enchant a creature At the end of your turn, clash with an opponent. Do you remember clash? Okay, here's clash. So at the end of our turn, we're going to clash. Me and an opponent will clash. So me and that opponent will reveal the top card of our libraries, and then we'll put it on the top or the bottom, a little bit like a scry. A player wins if their card had a higher mana value. 
So we both flip, highest mana value wins. Now we have to win for this to matter. If we tie, we did not win. So ties do not help us. It's kind of bad that way. Anyway, so at the end of our turn, we clash. And if we win, we gain control of that creature. And if we lose, that player gains control of the creature. So it's kind of like a risky control magic, mind control, that sort of thing. But the beauty is with Urtai, if we end up not getting the creature, we can just be like, you know what, I'm going to sack this enchantment. So now there's nothing on the creature trying to get it to move to another player. We'll be fine. I also have to acknowledge the power of Celestial Ancient. It's three white, white elemental flying three three whenever we cast an enchantment spell we put a plus one plus one counter on each creature we control couple that with flux channeler that's the two and a blue two two human wizard whenever you cast a non-creature spell aka almost everything in our deck because it doesn't say instant or sorcery right we get to proliferate so celestial ancient starts them flux channeler just puts a billion counters on everything Ooh, this is a neat move puka's mischief three and a blue for an enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep, you may exchange control of target non-land permanent you control and target non-land permanent an opponent controls with an equal or lesser mana value. I'm talking all those sagas that are about to die. We will send it away when it gets to the third turn and then our opponents will have it and it'll look at that last piece. Hopefully it's a nothing piece and then it'll die, but we will have taken something of theirs. And you know I'm hoping to give away a Chainer's Torment. This is an interesting card in any way, because it's a four-mana saga, three and a black. The first two chapters are identical, two damage to each opponent, and you gain two life. Cool. And then I'm hoping to pass that away with Puka's Mischief to steal a four-drop from my opponents. Because specifically, imagine this. The chapter three is, create an XX Black Nightmare Horror Creature Token where X is half your life total rounded up, and it deals X damage to you. So... If I can give this away at the right time, my opponents will get a medium-sized dummy XX. I mean, that's a big creature if they got a fling or something that's going to do some damage, Warstorm Surge, but probably we'll just bounce it. Like, you can deal with a vanilla 2020 fairly easily, but they're going to lose 20 life, half their life. I love it. Okay, remember Michiko's Reign of Truth? That's the saga that flips, but the first two chapters are target creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn for each artifact and or enchantment you control. There's a Voltron deck, baby. So like something like this, we will make creatures massive. Urtai can get pretty huge with this thing. Throw on an all that glitters. It's a two mana enchantment, enchant creature plus one, plus one for each artifact and or enchantment. And then for one minute, ethereal armor does the same thing, but just for enchantments. And you get first strike. Like we'll get Urtai up to 21, no problem with a couple of these. And I'm not even counting Eidolon of Countless Battles. This is the three minute enchantment creature, one white, white. It's as big as you have creatures plus auras and it bestows. So it becomes an aura. So it'll make something a little bit bigger as well. And I think Night Howler is going to do a lot of work for us. One black black enchantment creature horror plus X plus X where X is the number of creature cards in all graveyards. We won't have a ton, but again, if we can get like 10 off of this, which shouldn't be hard in a game of commander, it's going to do some work. And it all comes together because of something like white water naiads, three blue blue enchantment nymph four four constellation. 
Whenever this or another enchantment enters a battlefield under your control, target creature can't be blocked. Heck, that or archetype of imagination, which is essentially the same thing. It's a six mana enchantment creature. Your creatures have flying. Your opponents can't have flying. So either of those are making Urtai unblockable. We're putting a couple of those enchantments on them to make him a 21-21, and we're ending the game for a player right there. I guess they can try to counter the kill Urtai and we'll have to tap him to counter something, but and that's what that Starlet Mantle's for, right? Ooh, fun deck. As always, I have to shout out the Discord. Uh, I could not do this without you. Special shout out to Chiefy, who kind of came up with the nugget idea for this deck. Also, Micah Eternity's Crafter, Groove Chicken, Papa Dio, Lefta Manjero, and Neo Maxis. Thank you for all your help, everything you do in there. And yeah, check out the YouTube channel. Head on over to that. Give us a like and subscribe is super helpful. TCG links, all the usual stuff. And I guess the last piece of business is something that's very important to me. I want to say it every time. And I hope you I hope you're listening because I would like you to keep being you. The world is a better place for it. I mean that. I'll see you next time.